Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. As we've been going in this Immerse series, this week we find ourselves in the book of Proverbs, huge book. And so I want to start off by just reading the first eight verses of it. This is Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And it said, uh, starts by saying, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then it has this powerful verse in there. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then in Proverbs 9, verse 10 to 12, I want to pull this out as well before we dive in too deep. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 through 12, it says that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. And then I love in Hebrews 12 how it says, Since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. So as we dive into this day, looking at, looking at the book of Proverbs, we need to first of all recognize that the book of Proverbs, this is the book of wisdom. It's the book of wisdom. It was written by King Solomon, which was, uh, for those of you who may not know, this is uh, King David's son. And the book came about because King Solomon had a prayer. He prayed for this. He sought the Lord for this. And he, he prayed this prayer when he became king at a young age. And now, although King Solomon, he had wisdom before this, right? We have people that speak into us. We have people who teach us. Uh, he was feeling inadequate and overwhelmed. How many can identify with feeling inadequate and overwhelmed at times in your life, right? And so he saw this task in front of him. He was now leading this great nation. And I want to point out in the middle of this that God saw his struggle. See, when we feel overwhelmed, God knows, When we feel inadequate, God knows, and he sees us. And as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that we are never alone. We may feel alone, but we are never alone. God is with us. And when we're overwhelmed, our response needs to be the response that King David had, the response that King Solomon now had. We need to run to God and we need to worship him, and we need to trust that he will give us whatever he needs. When, we, when God places us in a place, we need to run to him. He's going to teach us, he's going to show us, and he's going to supply. And so here's, this is what King Solomon did. It says in 1 Kings chapter 3, it says, The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. This, this was the act of worship. For that was the most important high place. And Solomon, he offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And I love God's response. 
See, when we worship, when we sing, when we lay down our lives, when we do things, God responds to us. And it says that Gibeon, the Lord, he appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said to Solomon, he said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask for whatever you want, right? This is almost like, like, like a genie in a bottle. I get three wishes. How many played that game when you were kids? If you had three wishes, what would it be, right? And you'd say, I want this, I want this, and your third wish, and my third wish would be to have three more wishes. And you just, you know, you, you just kind of keep going and keep going. But here God is looking at Solomon. He says, Solomon, ask for whatever you want. And Solomon's answer to God, it's broken down into three parts. And I think it's important that we pay attention to this on, on Father's Day. But the first part of, his, of Solomon's response to God is he remembers God's faithfulness to his dad. And man, this spoke to me. spoke to me. My dad is 95, and he's going through stuff. But this week, I began to reflect on the faithfulness, because along the way, bit by bit, my dad told me the story of his life, the story of his salvation. And I love that in this moment, when God asks him, big question, what do you want? I'll, I'll give it to you. The first thing he did is he remembered his faithfulness to his dad, David. He said, you've shown great kindness to my dad. Isn't that awesome? And then, the second part, he remembers why, dad, why his dad, why David had favor with God. He said, it's because he was faithful to you and he was righteous and upright in heart. And then King Solomon, he goes on to ask for the same favor that his dad had. He said, so give your servant a discerning heart. He wanted the same heart that his dad had to, to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who, who's able to govern this great people of yours? How powerful is that? He remembered his dad. He remembered the favor he had. And then he asked for the same favor that his dad had. And here's God's response. I love God's response. It says, the Lord was pleased. He was pleased that Solomon asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this, and not for a long life, or wealth for yourself, nor asked for the death of your, men, your enemies, which were many, he said, but for discernment in administering justice. Here's what he said. He said, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you nor will there ever be. Wow, this is God, this is God. He says it, it speaks, it's there. Out of nothing, ex nihilo, God speaks it and it's there. And now he's looking at Solomon saying, because you've asked, because you've asked for the right thing, there's never gonna be anyone like you. And then not only that, God not only gives him what he asked for, but now God exceeds it. You know that verse, he's able to do infinitely more than we can ever ask, imagine, or hope for? This is God. And God goes on to make him wiser than any other person of his day. Look at this, 1 Kings 4. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. 
so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. People of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. He was the guy. He was a smart guy. People came from all around. And this is not lost to us on Father's Day because as we think about him remembering the life of David, was David perfect? No. (laughs) Am I perfect? You knew the answer to that one. David was not a perfect man. The Bible tells everything. When you look at the life of David, there were a lot of errors. There were a lot of things. There was a, there was a lot of stuff. There were a lot of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. He would have been a great candidate for Celebrate Recovery. But in the midst of it, at every turn, when you look at the life of David, what did David do? He turned to God. When he was confronted in his sin, he lamented, he mourned, and he said, God, forgive me. He made the sacrifices. And this was passed now on to Solomon. See, Solomon had the history of a father that loved and pursued God. And as a result, in this moment, this pivotal moment, Solomon knew what to do. Because though his dad wasn't perfect, that gives me a lot of hope. An imperfect dad, but when his imperfections came to the surface, he humbled himself and said, God, you are my God, forgive me. And now this was passed on. And the book of Solomon is this record. It's a written account of the wisdom and what a treasure from God. That's why his dad, David, he wrote in the Psalms, he referred to God's wisdom as perfect, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, that's me, enlightening the eyes, more to be desired than gold, even the finest gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This is the wisdom of God. This is the treasure. This is the opportunity that we have. This is why we read the Word of God. But before we move any further, because there's a lot we want to go through today, we need to dive into the purpose, because it's important to know the why, the why of this book, because it's not just meant to be a book that we read and that we put on our shelf. It's not just meant to be, here's some really cool things that happen in history, and then it's up there, right? It's not just meant to be, God's not just trying to give us a history degree, and then we go out and try to find a job with a history degree, right? God's trying to give us some purpose in this, and the purpose in this is laid out from the very beginning. And the first thing that happens is acquiring knowledge. See, knowledge is important. It's not everything, But the first thing that he wants us to see here is that we need to acquire knowledge. And when we talk about knowledge, knowledge focuses on is the acquiring of information as well as having an understanding of the world around us, an understanding of ourselves, and an understanding of the magnificent God who made it. That's the knowledge piece. But then the secondary purpose in addition to that is wisdom. And specifically, it's applying wisdom. And as I was saying earlier, that wisdom is the pursuit of the skill of applying knowledge that we have attained. It's about acquiring what I mentioned earlier that popped out of my ESV study Bible that says that wisdom is the skill in the art of godly living. This is wisdom. Wisdom is not just information. You can get a lot of information. Wisdom is that skill in the art of godly living. It's skill in dealing wisely and fairly with all people and situations. See, godly wisdom is the ability to act righteously and justly to everyone. 
to receive instruction, as it says, in wise dealing in Proverbs, verse 3, in righteousness, in justice, in equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. See, wisdom is about receiving guidance and mentoring. We see this highlight in verse 5. This is why Google and YouTube by itself, as much as I love them, will not necessarily make you wise. You can be fully informed, be dumb as a rock, as my dad would say. (laughs) It's true. You can quote stuff, you can memorize stuff, you can throw it out. And that's good, it's a good start, but wisdom is being able to tell right from wrong. Right? I mean, you start looking around, have you ever Googled something and you saw two different things out there? That's why we go to doctors, not just WebMD. That's why we go to professors that can teach us and mentor us, because we need that. See, wisdom is a skill that is necessary to live right. Wisdom is about being disciplined to develop the skill and having the right timing. And that's why in the area of of wisdom, this is the biggest struggle that humanity has struggled with. Humanity has not struggled with being informed. Humanity has struggled with wisdom. So how do we obtain this godly wisdom? How do we obtain the wisdom of God? Well, again, the Bible's very clear, and Proverbs is crystal clear, that we obtain wisdom from God through relationship. It's relationship, 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 relationship. See, from the beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God makes it overwhelmingly clear that godly wisdom is only attained with God. And this may seem obvious, but we miss the obvious, don't we? We're informed, but we miss the obvious. I mean, I mean how, how many times have you or how many times have your friend <laughs> tried to receive the benefits of the love and the power of God without God, right? We, we want the reward, but we don't always want the relationship, right? We want the power, but the power is only available with the person. See, we want security but we don't always want the surrender that is necessary to have the security. Because see, as it relates to God, the reward is with relationship. The power is with the person. The security is with surrender. And so here in the book of Proverbs, God makes a very clear illustration so that we will get it as it relates to relationship. And we talked about it last week. Mowage, Tuwav. See, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified, we have this illustration, as a woman. And as it relates to us as we walk, that's why the body of Christ, we're called the bride of Christ. See, relationships are very important to us. Every song's about it, all the art's about it, all the marketing's about it, everything out there comes back to this relationship, this human relationship. And so Proverbs 120, it says, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. And then in Proverbs 8, it says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate, leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. 
you who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Set your hearts on it. So several things become very quickly apparent to us that as it relates to wisdom, Proverbs is saying wisdom's available to everybody. She's at the gate. She's raising her voice. She's on, I mean, this is everywhere. Wisdom is everywhere in this. And it's available to everyone, to all mankind, to all humanity. But it's very clear that as it relates to this, that wisdom, attaining the wisdom of Almighty God who made everything, it's relational. See, wisdom is personified as a woman because it is only found through a covenant relationship with God. We talked about this last week. Remember that as it relates to marriage, marriage is the illustration, it's the metaphor that God uses to describe our relationship with him. And it's a covenant relationship, right? It's not a contract. Contract is what we do when we go to lawyers to protect ourselves. This is a covenant relationship. And outside of this, a committed covenant relationship, it doesn't work. Now, there will be some fringe benefits, right? If you just hang around somebody who's smart, there's, there's, there's some things that are going to rub, rub off on us. And if you just kind of hang out with God, there's going to be some benefits to that. You're going to get a really cool granola trail mix bar after you leave today. There are benefits of just hanging out with God. And, and even Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said the sun, it rises on the evil and the good. It, it rains on the just and the unjust. See, hanging out it will make you better, but it won't last. Just as unfaithfulness in marriage is eventually revealed because there are no secrets. There are no secrets in life. I tell my kids all the time, there are no secrets. It's going to come out at some point. And as it relates even to today to David and Solomon, we know about David and Bathsheba, and that was before Facebook. God doesn't hide stuff. He reveals things to heal us. So just as unfaithfulness in marriage will eventually be revealed and destroy you, likewise, unfaithfulness to God, it does the same. See, wisdom is only received and kept through a faithful covenant relationship with God. See, Solomon had wisdom. When God asked the question, what do you want? He was ready. He had the right answer. He had the right question, and God honored it. But unfortunately, when we read about the life of Solomon, he lost it. He lost wisdom, which is heartbreaking to me. And we mentioned this a little bit last week. God, God gave, gave, gave set up three rules for kings, and this laid out in Deuteronomy that as it relates to kings, that they are not to accumulate wealth. They're not to get their power from horses right of that day. They're not, and they were, they were only to have one wife. And Solomon, he broke all of these. And he failed miserably. First Kings 11, it records this where it says, as Solomon grew old, his wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. Because when we step outside of the ways of the Lord, when we get out of alignment, right? Have you ever been in a car out of alignment? You're like, get me off. <laughs> and get to a garage. Take care of this. Anything out of alignment is eventually going to hurt you. It's going to get you off track. The wisest man that God said, there will never be anyone like you, wisest man had it right here and he lost it because 
he was unfaithful to God. See, as it relates to this relationship, when we enter into a relationship with God, it's not an affirmational relationship. God doesn't need us just to affirm him. <laughs> He's almighty God. He's not insecure. Fake gods are insecure. God's not insecure. That's why it's not affirmational, though we affirm the truths of God. But the relationship we have with God is transformational. Affirm is just this. Transformational is this. God, fill me. Forgive me. Take my life. Transform me. On this Father's Day, my kids need a transformed Dwayne. They don't need an immature, childish Dwayne that pushed his friends in the river growing up. We don't just affirm it. We are transformed. That's why you, you can be raised in church and fall away if you don't align your life with God. If your life is not aligned with God, you'll come into this place expecting it to be perfect. All the perfect people raise your hand. None of them. You'll come into this place expecting it to be perfect, and then you'll look around and say, what's going on? This is the family of God. We help each other here. We find people who are sick and we bring them in here. We find people who are hurting and we bring them in here. So in here, there's going to be a mix just like a hospital. You'd never go to a hospital and say, why are there sick people here? I thought there were doctors here. I thought they knew how to get these people healed. That would be ridiculous. That's why the church is often, often uh, described as a hospital. This is where if we're spiritually broken, if we're down, if we're confused, you need to come in. And we have people with grace and mercy in their life with the patience that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit to help you. But it's going to be a rocky road along the way. Have you ever been hurt in your family? I have. I've done some of the hurting. <laughs> The same thing will happen here. Any group of people, wherever you go. If you go to a bar, you're going to be hurt by people there. I've seen people get beat up. You get around people, stuff's going to happen. But here, we are anchored on the Almighty God that fills us with wisdom and with grace and truth. And here, you can be healed. Here, you can be restored. Here, you can receive the love of God. You can be accepted by God. You can ask for forgiveness from God, and he will forgive you, and you will find a place to belong because we are committed to each other, and we're not going to be fooled that easy. We're not going to be tipped over that easy because we have the wisdom of God in this place. Amen? Shouldn't we be filled with grace? If you're hurting and you're immature, come on in. We can handle it because God is in our lives. God is in our lives. We are children that God is raising up to be mature adults, to be ambassadors for him. That's why they looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, why are you hanging out with those people? They even start calling him drunk, though he was never drunk. Because he hung out with them. He said, no, I'm here for the sick. And you who are healthy... Get on my team. Let's get on with it. Let's help one another. Let's walk with one another in this. Because we're not just affirming. We're not just following just a rule book. Though we have the book in front of us. No, we're being transformed by this. We're walking in this. That's why as it relates to 
the word of God and everything. I love, I, I pray this prayer, Ephesians 3. This is the prayer that I pray almost every morning over my family. And I write it out in my journal and memorizing. It's the, it's the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3 that he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. That's who we are in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, how high, how long, how wide, and how deep the love of God is. To know the love of God, that's an experience word. We want to experience it because it surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is who we are and who we are called to be. Walking, being filled this is why this type of wisdom is only attained with a covenant relationship to God because a covenant is for better, for worse, in sickness and health, in richer and poor, till death do us part. Steph and I have been married for over 30 years, not because we're perfect, but because we put it on God and we said, come hell or high water, we're staying together. I told Stephanie day one, you can leave, but I'm going with you. <laughs> It's true, and I'm better for it. She hurt me, I hurt her. We had a great mother-in-law we'd go to and sit down with her. Faith is a great counselor. Faith, but also the person faith. It's true, because she's been through stuff. Some of you have been through stuff. But when you lean into that committed relationship, covenant relationship with God, you're filled with the wisdom that surpasses all understanding. This is what we're talking about. But if you don't stay in it, if you don't stay committed to it, if you're unfaithful to it, Solomon sadly showed how we can get off. You can lose it. It's not just a piece of gold that you take and you hide away and you got it there and then someday after you die, your kids find it under a desk and go, woohoo, you know. David said it's worth more than gold. So how do we hold on to it? How do we hold on to it? How do we keep this? Well, again, Proverbs was very clear. The foundation of this wisdom is the fear of God. The fear of God. This is the foundation of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days, add years to your life. Amen. If you become wise, you'll be the one to benefit. But if you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. And see, as it relates to fear, we love talking about all the other attributes. Fear can be a difficult attribute for us, right? Because when we think of fear, we think about the boogeyman under the bed, or we think about tax season, or something like that, right? People that can hurt us and can come after us. When we think about God, we want to think about what David said in Psalm 145 when he said, the Lord is gracious and he's compassionate and he's slow to anger. He's rich in love. God is good to all and he's compassionate on all he's made. Is that true? Yes, it's true. And then in John 3.16, when we think about the love of God, we think about the one who gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And then 17 goes on to say, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
that whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And right here we see the separation, that without God, we are lost. Apart from God, we have no hope. But with God, we have everything. See, we think about a God who knows us, understands us, and he does, but here's the thing. When you walk with God, when you really see God, when you just get a glimpse of God, when you get a taste of who he is, this holy, righteous God, that I know for me oftentimes one of the first things that comes into my heart is this fear of awe and wonder. I mean, have you ever stood? I remember the first time I went to the Grand Canyon and I stood on the edge, I was like, (gasps) right? I remember the first time I was caught in a storm in my kayak, I was like, (gasps) there's this fear, there's this awe, there's this wonder where you're seeing such power. That's, That's why fear was the first response of those who experienced God in the Bible. When Moses experienced God, He had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock just in order for God to pass by. Show me your glory. My my glory would destroy you. He had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock. The prophet Isaiah, when he experienced the God, his response was, woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the glory of God. He experienced God, and immediately, was, God, I'm not worthy. Job's response He said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Ezekiel said, this is what the glory of the Lord looked looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell on my face to the ground. And then John the apostle, the one that Jesus loved, he loved them all, but John, the beloved, after his encounter with the glorified Jesus, he, he wrote in Revelation 1, he said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. See, God, he loves us. And when we start in this, in this relationship with him, we come to him as a child and as loving, as gracious, the way that we hang, the way that we treat children. But I know for my dad, as I grew up, I started walking a little stronger with him. I got, he started kind of bringing some maturity, kind of bringing some strength to his life. God is a defender. Man, I was thinking about the other day about my dad, very gentle, very kind man, he's a musician. And he came home one day and he saw the older kids bullying me. I saw a new side to my dad that day. <laughs> Why? Because a father is the defender. That's why the response of everyone who has seen and experienced God, I mean, really experienced Him, the response is not arrogance, the response is. Humility. See, when you experience the presence of God, the vastness of God, you immediately recognize how small I am, how small others are, how small my problems are, because you see how great God is. That's why the the great definition of humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. I believe it was C.S. Lewis that talked about that thinking about ourselves less because when we see God and we know he's our father and when we really experience how great he is, 
all of this other stuff, it just passes away. And we begin to grow, and we begin to see God, and we begin to see the vastness of who he is. See, his love, it provides the mercy and the grace that reunites us to him. And his justice, his righteousness, it enables us to flourish and to grow. See, God, he is the firm foundation. That's why in Isaiah Isaiah 33, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of our times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. I was sharing this before. There was this rocker from back in the 70s, Alice Cooper, who gave his life to Christ. And when he came forward, they said, was it the love of God that brought you in? No. He said, was it, was it the kindness of God? He said, no, it was the fear of God. Because when I knew that there was a God that was real, he said, I grew up with a lie that's saying, hey, you know what? We're all going to go to hell one day. We're all going to party together. We're going to do that. But when I realized that was a lie, and I realized there's a God who made me, he said, it shook me to my core. What happened? He was humbled. He was like, God, who are you? I've ignored you. I've lied about you. Forgive me. Fill my life. And in that moment, wisdom comes in. See, this is why the fear of the Lord is the foundation because the fear of the Lord is the result of a person they've experienced God. They've stood before him. And when we stand before God, we are never the same. When we see God, we are never the same. No one's unchanged by the presence of God. We're overwhelmed like Moses. We're overwhelmed like Isaiah. We're overwhelmed like David. And we are brought to our knees. And as we do this, we're filled with the presence of God. And as we are filled with the presence of God, we take on now the very nature of God, the very attributes of God, where Christ is now alive in us, and his wisdom fills us. That's why a true Christ follower, someone who's given their life to God, they will love what God loves. If God loves it, I love it. If God hates it, I hate it. See, God opposes the things that destroy his children. Just like my dad, he came home, he saw some kids bullying me. It was game on. I've never seen him run so fast. (laughs) We love what God loves. We hate what he loves, which is anything that will separate people from him. See, when we, when we have this fear of God, we are totally consumed with God. We take on the very nature of God, how we think now, how we speak, how we act. I take on the mission, the mission of God. I protect my eyes from seeing things that God hates. I guard my mouth. I guard my heart so that I'm not speaking things that will cause his heart to hurt for me. Because God is in me. I give away my life for the purpose of God. I stop worrying about my life because I don't own it anymore. When I recognize the greatness of God being filled with the fear of God, that's why it says in Philippians that you cast everything down. You, you, you submit, you surrender everything, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind because when I recognize God owns my life, I don't need to worry anymore. Just like the marriage in sickness and health, rich or poor, Till death do us part. And that's why Jesus said, don't worry about the one who can destroy the body. Worry about the one that can destroy the soul. This body, it's failing. (laughs) Happy Father's Day. My soul is the Lord's. 
My soul is the Lord's. And here, here's, here's, here's the thing. When we stop worrying about our life, when we recognize that God is the owner, and we recognize who God is, the Bible calls us his treasure. God takes care of his treasure. Do you know that you are all his treasure? That he will take care of you? I've seen it time and time again. Do you know that I, some, some of the best food I've eaten has been when I'm broke? People have bought better food to me than I had. It's true. God takes care of his treasure. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Here's what Jesus said. Don't worry about your life. He said, this is what pagans do. This is what people who don't know God do. This is what people who have not given their life to God. Pagans worry, and they should. But we're children of God. He takes care of everything. See, to fear, that's why when we fear God, and as the team begins just to lead us, as we wrap this up in this Father's Day, see, to fear God is to recognize that with God, I have everything. I have strength for today, and I have hope for tomorrow because my eternity is in heaven. This life is a breath. It's a vapor, and I enjoy it. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you see all the stuff I enjoy. I'm having a good time. But my hope is in the future. My hope is in eternity with God. And my prayer is that my family would be there. My prayer is that you would be there. My prayer is that Seattle would experience it and be there, that the world would know. Because the fear of God is also to recognize that without God, we have nothing. That when we don't have God, Instead of security for today, we are insecure. And there is no hope for tomorrow. There's no hope for tomorrow. This life is all it is, so get whatever you want because there's no hope. But with God, I have everything. You know, as I was thinking about this, and I'm just going to wrap up with this. You know, I was thinking about some of the most powerful encounters that I've had with God when I've been filled with that, that fear of God. And I, I pray that you've experienced it, and if, if not, open your eyes, because it will set you free. Some of the biggest times when I've experienced that was when I was a teenager. You know, I was in, I was in eighth grade, and I was at a Teen Challenge concert. And I grew up in church. I was a good kid. I played in the worship band. But I was at a crossroads internally. I was making decisions my parents didn't even know about. They didn't know I was, I was deciding, God, are you real? And I was in a Teen Challenge concert. I'd never seen anyone play an ovation guitar with the round back on it and the frets and everything. And, and in the middle of it, the fear of God entered me and said, Dwayne, what are you doing? Do you know me? And I humbled myself and I ran to the altar I ran home. I said, Mom, I got saved today. She began crying. She said, I thought you already were. <laughs> and our relationship took a, a great step that day. You know, I remember in college and, you know, in studies and just, I mean, I was in college on a wing and a prayer. 
And with each step, the Lord just began just kind of breaking me down, breaking me down, breaking me down to bring me to dependence, to see him, the fear of God. And God just kept saying, Dwayne, I've got you. You, you, you keep walking. I'll, I'll provide. You keep talking to the accounting department at university. We'll, we'll, we'll make this work. I saw miracles happen in the accounting department. I saw miracles happen in the music department. I saw miracles happen at the altar and chapel. These were all the fear of God moments when God was, was teaching me. When I got married, when I went through eight years of God, why can't we have children? When I went through even the process of becoming pastor here, moving back to Seattle, all of these things, I was, God filled me with the fear of God. And in the midst of that, wisdom came in. I said, God, I, I trust you. I trust you. Do you want that today? Let's all, let's all stand together on this Father's Day. I, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but God, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, Lord, open our eyes to see you today as our Father. That that godly fear that comes from experiencing you would rush in to give us the wisdom that we need to walk in your steps. Amen. The teams, they're going to lead you in a song. There's, we got time. And I'm going to just ask you one question today. This is the question that God asked Adam and everyone since. And the question is, where are you? Because <laughs> he's a father. I mean, every dad wants to know where their kids are, right? If you've got an Apple phone, you're tracking your kids. <laughs> I do. I tell them. I tell your kids you're doing it. You want to know where they are? And God's question today is, where are you? Are you ready Totally, completely surrender to God to confess your sin. God knows it already, but you, you, you got to get it out. you got to do that lament. you got to say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Fill me. Wash me. My life is yours. I'm tired of worrying about stuff. I give it to you. You need to be the owner. Is your life positioned to see God today and experience that? This is your time. This is your moment. We have wonderful people that have been praying for you already. We have communion. We walked you through that last week. Communion, Jesus said, every time you eat, every time you drink, remember this. You take the bread and you say, as your body was broken for me for my sin, you confess your sin. I confess every day. Because <laughs> I'm not perfect. In this moment, confess it to the Lord. Forgive me. And you eat the bread and then the cup that cleanses us, the cup that by his stripes we are healed. Do you need healing today? Walk forward in communion, pray, go to the prayer walls, get with the person next to you and say, let's pray today, let's walk today, let's be alive in Christ today, let's surrender everything and let's see what God will do in our lives, amen? So Lord, we respond. Wherever we are today, God, I pray that we would run to you, we'd come to your altar. Do your work in us, in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. Let's respond. Let's take a step. Let's respond to what God would do.
on this Father's Day. Amen.